Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're continuing in our series, The Book of Acts, and um, this is incredible to think, but next week we are finishing. Next week we'll be done with the entire book of Acts. We began this series after the, the very next week after Easter, was the following week from Easter last year. And we've continued this series to the week right before Easter on Palm Sunday. And so you made it. You did it. To recap a few things, what is the book of Acts about? The book of Acts is about the history of the church. We're talking about the birthing, everything from the birthing of the church to its spread around the world, the known world at that time. One of the themes of the book of Acts is from Jerusalem to Rome. And I mentioned this last week, Jerusalem was the most important city in the world to the Jewish person, the, the Israelites, God's chosen people. That was the most important city in the world, excuse me. And the book of Acts takes us from there to the most important city in the Gentile world at the time, Rome. What's amazing is historically, great superpowers and cities have risen and fallen throughout the course of time, but I find it ironic that both of those cities are still here. Both Jerusalem and Rome still stand to this day. Here we are thousands of years later. And this book chronicles that. Now, if you've missed any of these messages, which I'm sure you have over the course of a year, you can go back and listen to these messages by, um, we have these QR cards with the book of Acts in the, at the info desk. You can grab one. It'll take you directly to our website where you can catch up on those messages, or you can take a picture of this image on the screen. Once you open up your phone, you don't actually take the picture, but you hold it on there and it takes you directly to the link. Well, again, to recap, the Apostle Paul saved by God's grace, encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and has this transformation in his life. He goes from the greatest and really the initiator of persecution in the early church to becoming the church's greatest advocate to the Gentile world. He meets Jesus, he starts traveling and preaching and planting churches and doing great things for God and he finds himself going back to Jerusalem where he's put in prison. And where we catch up this week, where we begin our story this week, he spent the last two years in prison. You know, we, we turn the pages and move on, but I want you to think about this. He spent two years in jail for preaching the gospel and doing the right thing. And we pick up this story after he stood before um, King Agrippa and Festus, these two important Roman officials. And he gave his case to them and they found nothing wrong with him and they were going to release him except for the fact that the Apostle Paul, while he's on trial, he appeals to Caesar, which is the highest. It's like going to the Supreme Court. Like you can't go any higher in the land than going there. Once the decision is made by Caesar, at that point the decision is final. So he appeals to Caesar, his case to be set free. But really, there's something else on Paul's agenda. I believe his goal was not simply to be set free. His goal was to preach the gospel in Rome. And we knew this because God gave a promise to Paul. And I'm just giving you a little recap before we dive right in. In Acts chapter 23, verse 11, after Paul has begun being persecuted once again by the Jews in Jerusalem and he's standing before them in trial and they're putting him in prison, God shows up and God speaks to Paul Chapter 23, verse 11 says this, that night the Lord appeared to Paul and said, be encouraged, Paul, just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Now, I want everybody to say this with me. Say, Paul was in the will of God. Let's say that again. Paul was in the will of God. 
Now, this, what I just said, what you just said is very much the truth. How do we know this? God himself showed up to Paul and said, Paul, you're going to go to Rome and you're going to preach the gospel there the same way you've done it for me in Jerusalem. And even with all of the negative things and the bad things that happened in his life, things that took place in his life, he was in the will of God. Now, Acts chapter 27, this is, we're picking up where we left off last week. Verse one says this, when the time came, what time? The time for him to start sailing to Rome. This is after, again, two years in prison. We set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius. He was a captain of the Imperial Regiment. Some translations say he was what's called a centurion, a centurion. Now, Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was also with us. We left on a ship whose home port was Adramentium, Adramentium, on the northwest coast of the province of Asia. It was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the province. The next day, we would dock in Sidon. Julius was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore to visit with friends so that they could provide for his needs. Now, Paul's on his way. And Paul knows from God what is supposed to happen. He is supposed to get to Rome and he's supposed to preach the gospel. He had a word from God. God himself, the Lord, showed up to him and said this is going to happen. Now he's got a word from God so everything's supposed to be smooth, right? Wrong. God told him what the future held for him. So that means it's supposed to be smooth sailing to get there. Not really. I'm ask you a question. How many of you have ever been on a cruise before? Anybody have ever been on a cruise? Okay, it's kind of like that, but not at all. <laughs> That's what's getting ready to happen to Paul. Now, I love the water. I love being out on the water. Many of you know I used to be in ministry as a youth pastor in Biloxi. And I had a spot in Biloxi where you don't don't go in the water in Biloxi because you look at it. (laughs) If you go in it, you don't know if you're going to come out with every part of your body. Like you just, you look at it. But there was a spot in Biloxi that I would go and I would just watch the waves. It was on a pier, and that was the place I would go where when things were tough in my life, that that was like my sign, Lord, I'm going there because things are serious. And I had that spot, that place, and I went there a number of times when things were serious in my life. And that was my meeting spot with the Lord, like, God, I really, really need you. If you don't have a spot like that, you need one. You need a God, this is serious spot. And so... I love the water and and I love being out on the water, but there's something amazing about being out on the water. Even if you are on a nice fancy cruise ship or on a boat out catching sockeye, wherever you're at, once you get out on the water, something happens. You realize just how small and insignificant you really are. When you get out in the middle of the ocean, you realize it doesn't matter how important people think you are, It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much influence you have. You are nothing but a speck in the ocean. That's what you realize. Because you see those waves going and you realize those waves have been going for thousands of years before I was here and they'll be going for thousands of years after I'm gone. And there's this sense of feeling powerless, like I can't really do anything about this. I remember going on a cruise once with my family, and I'm standing out on the, on the, um, the, the dock, or well, not the dock, whatever it is, the little thing on the side of the boat where you can stand by the water. And no, I didn't act like Titanic. I didn't do the Titanic scene. Some of y'all have. There's no condemnation in Christ, but I didn't do that. But I'm standing there, and I'm watching the waves, and I'm, the thought hits me. If something happens to this boat, we're in trouble. You realize how small you are and how big that is. You are not in control. But being on the water requires something. It requires trust. 
You have to trust that that captain knows what they're doing. You have to trust that that boat was built right. You have to trust that those life preservers work. It requires trust. This story that we're getting ready to unpack is no different. It's a story that has a lot of trust. But trust in what is what we're going to talk about. Paul is traveling and he's got God's favor on his life and he's with this man. As I mentioned before, he's a centurion. Now let me tell you about centurions. A centurion was a Roman soldier who oversaw a hundred men, a century. Right? A hundred means, a century means a hundred. And so this century this was a, a, a Roman army, a Roman regiment, if you will, and the centurions would oversee a hundred of them. Now, when the Bible talks about centurions, it's amazing. It often speaks about them with great favor. These were Roman men. These were Gentiles, but just about every time the Bible talks about them, it speaks highly of them. Let me give you a few examples. These were not these were not the crooked political men. These were army men. These were soldiers. These were men of integrity and men of honor. The Bible talks about one of them when it says Jesus goes to, uh, excuse me, a centurion comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus to heal his servant. And Jesus said, okay, I'll go into the house with you. And the centurion says, don't bother. I'm a man, what, under authority and a man of authority. So when I say go, my men go. When I say come, they come. Jesus only say the word. And what did Jesus say about that man? He said, I haven't seen this kind of faith even in Israel, even in my own people. So it spoke highly of a centurion. The, another centurion that it spoke highly of was Cornelius. The very first Gentile man in the Bible to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prayed, he spoke in tongues. And it opened up the gospel being preached to the Gentiles. It was a centurion. It was also the man who at the cross, the centurion at the cross when Jesus died and the sky went black, it was a centurion who looked over and said, truly this man was the son of God. So the Bible often speaks highly of centurions. Well, this centurion in this story gave great favor to Paul. Isn't it amazing how Paul as a prisoner, God gave him great favor with this leader. That just goes to show you, it doesn't matter where you're at in life. When God wants to give you favor, he can give it to you like that. He can give it to you like that. This man is in prison and the leader loves him. The leader likes him. Let's keep going. It also mentions a man named Aristarchus. And if you're wondering who Aristarchus was, we've talked about him before. He was one of the men who traveled with Paul to go to Jerusalem to bring an offering to the church in Jerusalem. I won't go too much into that, but this suffice it to say, Paul was not on this journey, even as hard as it was, by himself. He had God's people with him even while he was in prison. They weren't imprisoned, but he was. And he stuck with him. Verse four, putting out to sea from there, we, in, we encountered strong headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. So we sailed north of Cyprus between the island and the mainland. Keeping to the open sea, we passed along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia and landed at Myra in the province of Lacia. There the commanding officer found an Egyptian ship from Alexandria that was bound for Italy, and he put us on board. Now I want you to see something. The storm is starting to begin. The entire, this entire chapter of the Bible focuses on a storm. And this is a powerful storm. This is not just a, a nice little storm that causes us to send our kids home from school and we sit home and enjoy the sun. Not that we know anything about that the last two weeks in Louisiana. How many of you are praying for Rob Perillo? Come on, somebody. All right. This whole chapter is about a storm. And these men had a plan. This is what they wanted to accomplish. And this storm comes along and it changes everything. That's what storms do in our lives. They change everything. 
right? We, we live in Acadiana, so we know what it's like to have a storm come through and change the landscape of our entire community. From hurricanes to the 2016 floods to all kinds, we know what it's like to have a storm come and all of a sudden our entire community looks different. Why? Because storms change things. They change things. Now what's fitting about this story is this man Paul, the Apostle Paul, his entire life since he's been a Christian seems to have been a, one big storm. He didn't get saved and everybody fall in love with him. He got saved and everybody started hating him. He started obeying God and people turned their backs on him. He said, I want to do the right thing. And because of that, the friends and the family and the people that he was so close to that absolutely loved him beforehand were now persecuting him. Saying, you go to that church? You're doing what? You're telling people about Jesus? I remember when you used to, right, this is where Paul, this was the entirety of his life. Now he's headed to what many scholars believe to be his final destination. Many believe he never left Rome. What we do know is he died in Rome. So he's on his way to the place of his death. But he's got a word from God. And even on his way there, he has to face a storm. Now, let me tell you about this boat. I'm giving you guys some of this information because I want you to get the big picture. Now, back in that day, it's been said that they didn't have passenger ships back then. If you were sailing on a ship, that ship had another purpose. And this Alexandrian ship, it was from Egypt, and it was a grain ship. More than likely, it was carrying corn. And it was carrying corn from Egypt to Rome. So the primary focus, don't miss this, the primary purpose and focus of this boat was not Paul, it was not these prisoners, it was not the centurion, it was making money. That was the goal of this ship. We're going to bring our corn from Egypt to Rome and we are going to get paid. That's its purpose. The main reason for this boat. Verse 7. We had several days of slow sailing, and after great difficulty, we finally neared Nidus, but the wind was against us, so we sailed across to Crete and along the sheltered coast of the island past the Cape of Salamone. We struggled along the coast with great difficulty and finally arrived in Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea for, excuse me, for sea travel because it was so late in the fall and Paul spoke to the ship's officer about it. Now let me stop right there for a moment. I want you to hear the language. We sailed with great difficulty. It was slow sailing. We struggled. This was not an easy ride. This was not the love boat. This was a very tough ride. And again, let me ask you this question. Was Paul in the will of God? Only half of y'all said it this time. Was Paul in the will of God? Now, why am I asking you this? I've said this before. Why is it we believe that the will of God for our life is the path of least resistance? Why do we automatically assume that God's will for our life is the easiest ride, the easiest sail? That's not always God's will. And sometimes you can be smack dab in the will of God. Sometimes we start facing hard things and we immediately think, God, what did I do wrong? God, what what did I mess this up? Sometimes you didn't do anything wrong. But God is allowing you to go through this for a reason. God is sending you through this storm for a reason. You're not out of the will of God every time that you're in a storm. You're not out of the will of God every time you're in hardship or having problems. Don't believe that. Now, for clarity, I want to do and to clarify, sometimes God will use storms in our life to get our attention when we are outside of the will of God. There are moments that God will go, okay, you're not listening, so let me, let me get your attention. <laughs> but that's not always the case. Sometimes, and how do you know the difference? You stay close to God and you find out. 
You stay in a relationship. Let me tell you something about God. God is not a system. You don't put a coin in God and get a piece of candy out. Right? God is a person, and there are times that God will use the exact same avenue for different, re- different reasons and for different results. God has an ability to send you through a storm to get your attention when you're being disobedient, and God has an ability to send you through a storm even when you're smack dab in the will of God to get something out of you, to renew your character, or simply to put you in the right place to be a blessing to those around you. <laughs> same God. Same person, same God, same storm, different results. That's where Paul finds himself. God's sending him through this storm. Now, another translation says this in verse 9 in the, the, the ESV. It says, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Now, what's the fast? The fast, what they're talking about is the Jewish fast, the Day of Atonement. And this was something that happened around October. So we know this is happening in the fall. This is probably happening somewhere around mid-October. Now Paul knows, as a man who's traveled these seas on his missionary journeys, it's probably not wise if we're on this boat in the fall. It's not really good sailing weather. And Paul knows this because he spent his time traveling and preaching the gospel in this time. And I love what the Bible says. Paul says something. Being the man of God that he was and the leader that Paul was, he spoke up in verse 10. This is what he said. Men, he said, I believe there's trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. Now, I want you to get this picture. Paul was not the captain of this ship. Paul was not the Roman leader. Paul was a prisoner. And still he spoke up and said, hey, I think this is a bad idea. Guys, I see trouble ahead of us. Wasn't in charge, but he saw danger coming. Let me ask you this question. When you see people heading in a dangerous direction, do you say something? When you see someone getting ready to wreck their life, shipwreck their lives, do you love them enough to say, I see some danger coming? Or do you think, I just, I don't have the place, I'm just a prisoner, I don't know, they don't really look at me like that. Or do you love them enough to say, hey guys, I think something's wrong here. We talked, I just met with Damar, of course, and we talked about our, our teenagers. There's a big problem with our teenagers called peer pressure. But can I be very honest with you? Peer pressure doesn't go away even as an adult. Some of us find ourselves going along with the crowd even as an adult. But someone has to love the group enough to say, this isn't right. This is wrong. We're doing the wrong thing. And you want to know who that person is? Oftentimes, it's the true leader in the group. They may not have the position, they may not have the placement. Paul was a prisoner, but he had enough character and integrity and leadership in his life to say, hey, guys, I think there's danger ahead of us. But I want you to see what happens. This is what happens. They don't listen to him. This is not the first time Paul has spoken up and he wasn't listened to. Verse 11, this is what it says. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than to Paul. And since Fair Havens was an exposed harbor, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, not Arizona, <laughs> further up the coast of Crete and spend the winter, excuse me, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor with only a southwest and northwest exposure. And I know some of you, this is kind of hard to understand, the boats and all of that stuff. Here was their plan. Let me make it simple. Because of the winds, their plan was to, to go as close to the shore as possible. So that if anything happened, they can just get right to the shore. That was their plan. Paul is saying, let's not even do that. Let's just stay put. We're at this place called Fair Havens. I know it's not cool. It's not a whole lot of fun stuff to do because I know y'all are sailors, but let's just stay here. And the owner and the sailor, or the captain said, Paul, what do you know? This is our ship. We're going to do this. 
Now here's what's amazing, I want you to get. The captain liked Paul, but he trusted the word of the experts. This centurion liked Paul, but he trusted the word of the captain and he trusted the word of the owner. And I'm a firm believer, listen, please hear my heart when I say this, I'm a firm believer in receiving wisdom from other people. The Bible teaches us that we need to receive wisdom from others. We need to ask questions. The wisest people in the world are people who ask the most questions. It's only our pride that causes us to not humble ourselves and ask for other people's input. But, but there are moments when you have the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord supersedes the word of the experts. And this happens to be one of those moments that when you've heard from God and you make a decision that may not make any sense to anybody else, but you know you've heard from God. What do you do in those moments? You trust the word of God. You trust the word of the Lord. Now, some of you need to have that word confirmed. You need to go to people of influence to go, I heard from God, and you let them help confirm that. I believe that's the word of the Lord. But there are moments where you would make a decision that most people around you will think you're insane. What is wrong with you? If you don't believe me, ask Noah in the Bible. The Lord said, build this ark. It's going to rain. And everybody made fun of him and thought he was crazy. And they thought he was insane until it started raining. Until it started raining. Paul finds himself in the same place. There are moments that you need to push through. Listen to wisdom. Keep going. And there are other moments that honestly you need to surrender. Let me address something for a moment. If you're here in our church and you're battling addiction, that's not something you need to push through. That's something you need to surrender. That's something you need to stop fighting on your own. You need to go to someone and say, I need help. I need help. Well, I got this. I kicked this habit before. That doesn't mean you can do it now. We all need people in our lives to help us. We all need people in our lives to help us. Verse 13. So these men didn't listen to Paul. This is what happened. When a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought that they could make it. So they pulled up their anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly and the wind of typhoon strength called a northeaster burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. So again, their plan is to sail close to the shore. All of a sudden, this wind comes, and it pushes them out into the open sea. And it's pushing them further and further away from what they wanted. And now all of a sudden, Paul didn't look crazy anymore. All of a sudden, the word from God made sense. When you follow the word of the Lord, it may not make sense in the moment, but it will make sense later. Being a Christian requires trusting God, trusting him. You may not feel, Pastor, I don't feel saved sometimes. Did you get saved? Yes, then you're saved. I don't always feel like I'm free. Are you walking in a pattern of not doing that thing? Yes, then you're free. Sometimes you gotta just trust the word of the Lord. You gotta trust what God says about you. He's not a liar. He doesn't lie. When you refuse to listen to the word of the Lord, I want you to know something. The only person that you end up hurting is yourself. When you know the will of God and you do the opposite, the person you hurt the most is yourself. Now, don't get me wrong, the people who warn you, who try to, they may grieve with you, but you're the one who has to live with those consequences. Are y'all with me this morning? So briefly, let me tell you about this boat, these boats. In ancient times, these boats, they were big, they were sturdy, but they were slow. And a lot of people say that there was one sail, so they could only really go in one good direction. And that's what they found themselves. They're on this big, sturdy boat going in a place that they couldn't even control. The storm was now dictating where they go. 
The storm was dictating their pace. It was dictating their direction. How many of you have ever felt like the storms in your life are dictating your direction and your pace and are taking you places that you don't want to go? That's what storms do. They change things in our life. They affect us. They make our personalities change. They make the way that we affect, that we interact with other people change. A storm in a moment can change everything about our lives. But I want to remind you about something. Because the same God who was in charge of Jonah's storm, the same God who was in charge of Noah's storm, the same God that's in charge of the storm that Jesus himself quieted, the same God who is in charge of this storm is the same God who is in charge of yours. And listen to me, I get it. Some of you are like, this, this sounds like good preacher talk. This is real. When you're in the middle of the storm, what are you going to trust in? Are you going to trust in your ability to muscle through it or are you going to trust in the Lord? Are you going to trust in your ability? I've done it before, I'll do it again. Or are you going to trust God? Because you may not know this, but the only reason you did it before is because he gave you the grace to be able to do it. Are we going to trust him in the middle of the storm? Verse 16, we sailed along the shelter side of a small island called Kata. Where the great difficult, excuse me, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat, being towed behind us, and the sailors bound ropes along the hull of the ship to strengthen it. Then they were afraid of being driven across the sandbar of Sirtis of the African coast, so they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. In other words, they start freaking out. The winds start taking them all over the place, so they're getting scared, and they're trying to do everything they can to control the situation, the exact same things that we do when we're in a storm. When you're afraid, what do you do? You try to control things. And sometimes to no avail, you try to control things that you really could never control to begin with. That's what fear does. When you meet people who are very controlling personalities, and they're always so like, do this, do this, you do this, do it like this. Oftentimes, the thing that is motivating them is not trust in the Lord, it's fear. They're afraid that things are going to get out of hand, and so they're going to try to control whatever they can control to make themselves feel like they're in control. I didn't plan on saying all of that. That was free. All right. (laughs) But they're freaking out, and they're trying to make the most of this. And I love this. This was very subtle, but I want you to catch this. It said, verse 16, We sailed along. We sailed along. Notice it doesn't say they sailed along. I mentioned Aristarchus earlier, but I want you to remember who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. This was not just Paul. This was Aristarchus, Paul, and Luke. This man, Luke, was not arrested. Luke didn't do anything to put himself in the position. He's simply following Paul, but he followed Paul throughout all of this difficulty. That's when you know you have a real friend if they're willing to go through the storm with you. When they're willing to literally, in this case, literally be your ride or die, because they could have died. Luke stayed by Paul's side. What commitment? What commitment? What endurance, what faith. If Luke would not have gone through that, we would not be reading this. Because he's the one who chronicled everything that Paul did in his life because he was committed to him. He walked through this storm with him. Now on the flip side, I don't want you to see this about Paul. Paul let Luke be there with him. Here's something that I've seen as a pastor that is is often discouraging, if you will. When you're going through a storm and you choose to go through the storm by yourself, and you don't have to, you don't have to go through the storms of life by yourself. You were never designed to go through those storms by yourself. As a Christian, as a believer, you have one of the greatest benefits around you, God's people. God's people. When you're hurting, Reach out to your friends in church, your brothers and your sisters, 
when you're grieving, let someone go through that process with you. Listen, I know some of you have been around people who said stupid stuff. We all have crazy family members. Just don't tell them next time, tell the same family member. But my point is this, don't go through what you're going through alone. The Bible tells us that besides Paul, there were 275 other people in that storm besides Paul. And Paul still had the ability to feel like he was going through it alone, even though he was surrounded by people, except for the fact that he had Aristarchus and he had Luke right there by his side. As you're going through your storm, go through with people at your side. Verse 18. The next day, a gale force wind continued to battle, batter excuse me, the ship. The crew began throwing the cargo overboard. That's so important. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. Now, a preacher that I highly admire and, and love even listening to him about some of the same things we talk about is a man by the name of Skip Heitzig. And he said this about this storm in particular. He said, storms change our comfort level. Storms change our values. And storms bring out the best or the worst in us. Storms change our comfort level. Why do they change our comfort level? You can't be comfortable in a storm. When a storm is blowing through, you're, there's something about you that's going to be a little bit on edge. It's, you're not going to go sit out and sunbathe in a storm. Why? Because it changes things. It affects us. It affects the way we think about things. There's no sense of normalcy when we're in a storm. Now, one thing about storms in my personal life, every time that we have a physical, actual storm coming through, my wife asks me the same thing. Go get the plants and bring them inside. (laughs) I can bank on that. I don't care if Rob Perillo is right that day or wrong, I'm going to have to go outside and get the plants and bring them inside. Men, come on. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Babe, can you go get the, if it's freezing, go get the plants. If it's raining, go get the plants. I'm like, don't they need the rain? <laughs> and why do I hate bringing in the plants? Because my wife has these small, nice ones, but then she has these 400-pound pots. I'm like dragging inside. So I'm even more bitter when the storm doesn't come through, and I'm like... stupid plants. <laughs> let them die. Just let them die. <laughs> so many other things I can say, but I mean, meanwhile, back in the spirit, okay? One of the reasons why I hate bringing those plants in is because I'm comfortable. I'm sitting on our couch waiting to go to bed and she remembers at 9.30 at night that there's a storm, go get it. (laughs) Storms have a way of making, getting us out of our comfort and sometimes that's the point. Sometimes the point of the storm is to get you out of your comfort. But then the second thing is this, remember this, until the storm came, what was the purpose of that ship? to make money. Yet when the storm came, what did they throw overboard? The grain, the very thing that was gonna make them money. Because the storm has a way of changing our priorities. Storms have a way of going. The most important thing is making this money until the storm comes. And now the most important thing is simply living to get to Rome. So we'll take all of the stuff that we thought was important, that we thought was the main thing in our life, and we're going to throw it overboard. Why? Because this is now the priorities. That's what storms do in our lives. They shift our priorities. They cause us to have the right perspective. Now, storms often, they also, excuse me, bring out the best or the worst in us. And we're going to see this in a moment. Verse 21. No one had eaten for a long time, not because there wasn't food there. They were surrounded by food, but they were sick. They were worried. 
They were concerned. Now, I have to be honest, I've never been so concerned that I couldn't eat. <laughs> that hasn't happened yet. But they were. They hadn't eaten for a long time. And finally, Paul called the crew together and said, this is so cool, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this, da- this damage and loss. Now, for these men, it's going from worse to worse because now not only, not only are they in this storm, but they got Paul going, hey, guess what? I told you so. <laughs> I told you so. Now, and I told you so can be frustrating, especially when we hear from somebody who has a smug attitude or a smug personality. It can be taken as that, but that's not what Paul was doing. Let me be very clear, that's not what Paul was doing. What Paul was doing is this. He was reminding them that they should be listening to the right voice. His I told you so was not to condemn them. His I told you so was to realign them, to get them back to the place where now they would listen to the word of God. Sometimes we get an I told you so in life. And those I told you so's are there to help us get back on the right track. You should be obeying the will of God with your life. I know, I know, I know. And then the storm comes. You should have obeyed the will of God for your life. You're right. This is the path I need to go down. That's what Paul did. And now when I'm mentioning bringing out the best of the worst, Paul went from being the prisoner to now he's telling everybody, okay, y'all eat. Okay, we're going to eat. It's breakfast time. Yes, sir. We're going to pray over the food. Come on, let's pray. Paul went from being a prisoner to being the leader. Verse 22. I'm almost done. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For the last night, for, excuse me, for last night, an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and the God whom I serve stood before me. And he said, don't be afraid. Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. The same thing that God told them. You're going to Rome. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. Paul is basically saying, number one, I heard from God. This is God's will. We're going to make it, but these are the things you need to do for us to make it. But I also want you to know this ship is going to be shipwrecked. When we disobey God, God is gracious and he's merciful and he's kind and he'll wipe our slate clean, but it doesn't mean we don't still have consequences. And sometimes we get mad at God for the consequences for the actions we chose. We act like it's God's fault. When God's going, I took this situation and I redeemed it and I'm bringing about your good from this, but do not complain to me about the decisions you made. You chose to leave that port. You chose to sail in the open sea. And because you chose that, we're going to lose this ship. But in God's goodness, he's going to save us. He's going to rescue us. As I told you so, brought about some direction and some clarity. He had a word from God to stand on. When you have a word from God, sometimes that's all you need. I'm asked the keys to come up. Sometimes a word from God is all that you need. Paul knew in the middle of this storm, God was calling him to Rome. For some of you, you need to be reminded this morning, God has a plan for your life. There's some promises, some things he's spoken in your heart you still have to accomplish. He still wants for you. So what do you do when you do that? You believe his word. You believe his promises and you stand on that. And Paul, listen to this. For some of you, you need to hear this. There are certain things, and I I lead a group of men. I have a Bible study that I meet, uh, lead men on on Wednesday mornings. And I share something with them that I want to share with you as a church. The reason why this storm did not destroy this boat is because Paul was there. Listen to me, church. There are certain things that do not happen in our world 
that do not happen in your community, that do not happen in your family, that do not happen in your city simply because you are there. Because you're there. Because you showing up causes God to intervene in that circumstance. You simply being there, interceding for that causes what was going to happen to not happen. Never lose out, never never take for granted the fact that you are a man or a woman of God and where you go, the presence of God comes with you. Where you go, you have the ability to intercede in circumstances and things. This ship did not go down because Paul, a man of God, was there. When you go, you bring the presence of God with you. Some of you need to intercede for your communities and your cities because God will do something. Some of you need to intercede for those family members because God will do something. I was talking to a lady earlier this morning right after our leaders meeting and she was telling me about a circumstance with a couple that's arguing and fighting at three o'clock in the morning right there in her yard. Well, who knows what would have happened had she not got out of bed and interceded in that circumstance. We bring God with us. Is he everywhere? Of course he is. But he manifests his will in, in the world when you show up. Verse 27, and I'm closing. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across to the sea, Adria, and the sailors sailor sensed the land was near. They dropped a weighted line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured again and found that it was only 90 feet deep. And at this rate, they were afraid that we would soon be driven across the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed, I love that, for daylight. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship and they lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officers and the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. Now wait a minute, pastor. I thought you just said God promised and an angel showed up that they were gonna make it. Why is Paul now saying that if they get in that lifeboat, they're going to die, we're, we're going to die? I thought it was God's will. It was God's will. There's, there's a tension that we have to live with in life. That's the tension of God's divine sovereign will and human responsibility. God may tell you this is your will. This is my will for your life. This is my will for your family. But you still have to obey him to get there. I thought they were just going to get there because God said it. They had to obey God to get that out of that situation. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening in my life and I don't know all of this stuff. Listen to me, you still have a responsibility to obey him. And some of you are in a storm right now that has, like Paul, that has nothing to do with your obedience or disobedience. As a matter of fact, you're in this storm because you are obeying God. But there's some of you here this morning that the reason why you're in this storm is because you've disobeyed him. Because you have not obeyed his plan and his will for your life. What am I telling you? Obey him. Listen to what the word of the Lord is for your life. If you've strayed away from it, turn from it, get back on that path. Get back going in the direction where you're obeying what God has to say for your life. And for those of you who are saying, I'm, I'm, I'm obeying God and I'm in this storm, wait till next week. I got good news for you. I've got good news for you. I want you, if you're here this morning, I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to pray for you. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I, I know that I know that I know I'm in the middle of a storm and it's a storm of my own doing. Storm of my own disobedience to God. But I hear the beck and call of the Holy Spirit and I'm willing and ready to ask him to forgive me and to follow his plan for my life.
I'm talking to two sets of people. I'm not talking, number one, I'm not talking to you if you haven't been born again. I want to pray with you in just a moment. But I'm right now I'm talking to the believer who says I've disobeyed God and I've walked away from some things I know he's told me. And it's time to get that thing right. Maybe you've been in a storm because he's waking you up. But no one looking around, I just want you to acknowledge that before the Lord. I just want you to lift your hand up and I want to pray for you and say, that's me, Pastor. I've been in the storm because I've been, I have not obeyed his will for my life. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. You can put him down. Father, I pray for your people. And right now we come to you. Right underneath your breath, right where you're at, I want you to tell them, Lord, I repent. I'm sorry I haven't followed you. But I hear your call and I'm going to obey you. And Lord, I pray that as they do, you would calm the storm. I pray that as they do, peace would come back to their soul, where there's been chaos and turmoil inside, even in their hearts, where there's been no peace, I pray you would bring peace as they align with your will and your word for their life. And I thank you for that. Now, with every eye closed and every head bowed, you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm in that other camp of people. I've never been born again. I've never prayed to, to surrender my life to Jesus. He loves you. And he died on the cross so that every sin you've ever committed could be washed away and so that you can be right with him. But this is what that's gonna require, surrender. Making him the Lord of your life. You simply put, he did all of the work, but you're saying, Jesus, I wanna follow you. What I'm talking about is being born again. And Jesus said it this way. He said that you cannot even enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. So if you're here and you say, Pastor, I wanna be born again. I want to walk you through a process that's as easy as ABC. A, you admit that you're a sinner. B, you believe that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. And C, you confess. Confess what? He is now Lord of your life. So with no one looking around on the count of three, if that's you, I want you to lift up your hand and I want to pray for you and lead you to our Lord. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. If you say, I want to be born again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. See your hands. Anyone else? Anyone else say, this is my moment. Praise God. Thank you. I see your hand. You can put him now. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together. Say this with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe on the cross. You died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I turn from my sin, and I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with everybody that prayed that prayer this morning to be born again.